Our scripture lesson today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you all may have heard this at a wedding ceremony, but Paul wrote it for all of us, for people living in community, not just for a couple. So with that in mind, let's share in God's good word together. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. 30 years ago, I went to seminary. Theological school at Southern Methodist University. I love the campus. It's a beautiful place. You have uh, the live oaks everywhere, and you can kind of see the, the, all the planes come in and they fly into Love Field. And if, if you look very closely, you can see where I work. So I would, I would go to school around here, and then I would walk to work right there. Uh, that's Highland Park United Methodist Church. If you zoom in a little bit, uh, it looks like this. It was kind of the best of all worlds. I, I lived on campus, and we could go to school, we could go to work. It was just a great time. And I had never been a part of a church as big as Highland Park. Some 12,000 folks would go there at that time, one of our largest, if not the largest church in Methodism at the time. It was my job to bring in um, guests into the church. They called me the minister to visitors. Um, it just so happened that we had about 750 families visit every week. That was a lot of phone calls, uh, a lot of follow-up. And, and one of the things is that um, in order to be married at the church, to hold your date, you had to become a member. And so there were all these folks that I was doing weddings for as they were coming in uh, to the church, and they got to know me, I got to know them. And so it was sort of natural that when, after they had been married a little while, they would, you know, be a couple. And, you know, it looks more like that. And, and they would say, well... You know, we weren't expecting this. Um, we need to talk to you. Now, understand, friends, I was 27. Now, these folks were well older than I. Um, but I'd had one class in pastoral care. And so I thought I knew what I was doing. And they trusted me. And so I basically, this is, this is the one, this book had just come out. And it's been helpful to me, maybe more than any other book other than the Bible. Um, over the last 30 years. Why marriages succeed or fail. If you um, Google John and Julie Gottman, their research is incredible. They can tell you, um, basically, if they watch you for less than five minutes, they can tell you within 98% accuracy whether you'll be divorced or not in two years. They just, they're that good. And it has a lot to do with body language uh, and the way people interact. And so I thought, well, this, this family actually came to me. This, this couple came to me and they said, Pastor Mark, I'm like, we're... We're going to get divorced. And I was like, why? And they said, well, because we argue every day. And I was like, come on, not every day. Like every day? And like, well, at least five days a week. And so I'd, I'd been reading um, this book, and I was like, okay, we'll keep asking questions. And, you know, everybody has disagreements. That's just part of life. And I said, tell me a little more about your disagreements. They said, well, you know, on our way to work. I was like, What? Like on our way to work, we, you know, we're talking and we seem to always really get into, um, you know, a pretty big argument about hard stuff, you know, on our commute down 635 and LBJ. Have y'all been to Dallas? 
And now, see, here's the thing. If you've ever been or lived there, you know that that's actually a good day. It really looks more like this most days. And they're trying to talk about their taxes or that their child is off page or, or that their work is hard. And they're trying to have a very hard conversation in the middle of that stress bucket. And I said, well, according to a little book I read, you might consider like going on a date and choosing one topic to talk about on your date that's difficult. Not, don't talk anymore on LBJ. Like, don't do it. Just, don't talk. Just be quiet till you drop each other off. And then go on. And they're like, okay. And so about a month later, they came back and they said, you saved our marriage. <laughs> like, gee, many if it was all that easy, right? But isn't it, isn't it strange how someone else can see things in your life that you just can't see? It never crossed their mind that all they had to do was not try to have a really hard conversation in the middle of a traffic jam. We're in our third week of a series called Love and Happiness. And sometimes it can be really simple, but you just can't see it. And other times, other people think it's simple and super complex. It's really hard. And so in, in week one, we talked about what is love? Because if you don't understand love, then, then you know, it's going to be really hard. First of all, love is not a feeling, right? Say that with me. Love is not a feeling, right? It's an action. It's an action. It's a verb. Love is an intentional act for the good of another. It's, it's way more than romance. It's, it's way more than just, you know, getting along with your family or your friends. It is really to will and to work for everyone's best. That's what love is. Agape love, the love of God for us, beloved, is uh, the people of God, loved by God. And, of course, the Bible tells us this very clearly. It says, we know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Now now we're getting into what love really looks like. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in, say it with me, truth and action. Truth and action, right? And why is that so important? Because you can't get traction without action, right? You just can't. Say that with me. You can't get traction without action, right? So if you want a better relationship, you've got to work at it. It takes time and intentionality. And so the very first act of love is what? Giving attention. And so last week we tried this a little bit, like, oh, I see you. Hi. You know, and so you're making eye contact and you're, you're actually saying hello. You're recognizing God in another person. It's one of the most important things in the world. You can't develop a relationship if you don't ever see people around you. So that was week one. Week two is this, how to live a happier life. Now that we know what love is, then we can get on to this. Well, to be happier, we love God and love others. Those are the two commandments, right? That's what Jesus says. This is life. That's it. Love God, love others. It's very simple. It can be really hard to do, right? And and the reason this is so important, there's lots of reasons. One, it's the right thing to do. But beyond that, relationships are the most important thing in our life in terms of our happiness. And it's also the thing we struggle with most. Right? I'm kind of hesitant to do this, but anybody in the room, every single relationship you have, perfect? I want to meet you. Right? No, relationships can be tough. And and not only does it have to do with our happiness, it actually has, has to do with our health. Relationships protect our health as well as our happiness. Dr. Waldinger did an, an amazing study. He's a part of a study that's gone on uh, roughly 80 years now. And he talks about the dangers of loneliness. The dangers of loneliness. You may, you may not know this, 
Um, but loneliness is more dangerous than diabetes, obesity, or smoking 14 cigarettes a day. You say, well, that's a weird number. Well, yeah, because it's equated with 15 cigarettes a day, right? Just to be lonely is the same as any of these life-threatening situations. And so if you want to have a happier life, it's really very simple. Treat other people better. The better you treat others, the happier you become. And, it, and you're not waiting about their response. It's not about whether they act better. It's, it's about you actually treating others better. And it starts with your eyes. Respect is a gift you offer with your eyes. From the very moment you see somebody for the first time. And that's why last week I was trying to help us like see someone. Hold eye contact. Give them a smile. And if you know their name, say their name. It's respect. Simply respect every person. Because every person you see is worthy of your respect because they are created in the image of God. They are a child of God. And if you're a follower of God, they're a brother or sister of yours. So we are to respect them and to bless them. And to help them when they have needs. So today we come to something we all struggle with. And that's how do we have better relationships. Not just for a spouse or a partner. But really all of our relationships. How do they get better? Because that's what makes our life longer and better. Or worse and shorter. So here's the thing. We just have to get honest with ourselves. And that is this. That strong relationships take a lot of time. A lot of time. More time than you think. It takes a lot of time. Arthur Brooks puts it pretty bluntly. He says, the love you want in your life, it's not going to make itself happen. It's just not. You, you say that this relationship is important to me. You have to invest your time. And one of the things that I, I would like to remind myself, and maybe you can overhear it, is that today's decisions have implications for tomorrow's realities. What you do today becomes your history. And, it, and it, it helps develop what you're going to do in the future. And so, in my mind, there, there, at times, there are people that I would like to connect with, or I'd like, you know, I should really reconnect with this person from high school or college or whatever it is. And I'll think, yeah, but I've got this right here that's really urgent to do. I'll, I'll catch them next time. Next time they're in town. Or, or next time they reach out. Or next Christmas. Or Have, have you done that? And then that next time comes and you don't do that then. And yes, you moved up in your work a little bit, but you find yourself with fewer and fewer relationships. And part of that is because it really does take a lot of time. And, and, our, and our lives are going at such a fast pace, we don't even know how to do it. We don't even see people doing it. We don't know how to do that. So let me just kind of let's set us down for a second and say, so, okay, well, well, what does it take actually? What does it take? Well, it takes 60 hours even to make a casual friend, somebody where you just know their name, right? 60 hours, that's a lot of time. But if you want to go from a casual friend to an actual friend, you know, a real friend, not only do you have to invest the first 60 hours, but then you have to invest another 100 hours to go from a casual friend to a friend. That's roughly how long it takes to get to know someone well enough for them to know you, you to know them, and for them to be there for you. And then if you really want a best friend, right? I mean, I hear people say that all the time. You know, I've, I've got acquaintances, but I really just, I just want a best friend or I want a really close relationship. Well, I kind of have to ask you, do, do you? Because after the first 160 hours, that's going to take more than 200 more hours to become a closer best friend. That's 8.3 days. Solid. 
I mean, when's the last time you spent 8.3 days with anybody straight up? Right? I mean, it is, this is hard to do. Just in the resource of time alone. And around here, I, I mean, this is what I think. I, I think I even know this. Most people in the room don't struggle so much with money. We do struggle with money some. But in this room, your real struggle is with time. You just don't have time for everything you want to do or you think is important to you. You just don't have it. So you have to choose. And the wise person is going to choose to invest in their relationships. Because that's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that lasts into eternity. You say, well, how, how, how could we possibly do this? Well, some of you know. Some of you have done it with me. It's called camp. Right? And so this is our youth group. But if you look, what you'll see are little biddies, four, five, six, seven, and then back behind them, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Behind them are junior high, senior high kids, college kids helping, adults helping. And we spent four and a half days together, just straight, just being together. That was kind of fun, wasn't it? It was a good week, right? But it takes time. And, and so sometimes people who are new to the church will say, well, I want my son or my daughter, my friends, kids, I want them to get involved in youth group. To which I always say, then get them to camp. Or get them to 30-hour famine. Or get them to winter retreat. Because until they have collective memory with the other kids, that's going to be hard to connect. Because it just takes time. It's, it, I mean, imagine if you went to a meeting for 30 minutes or 45 minutes on a Sunday and you left and, and your friend said, well, you know, are those your friends now? Well, no, of course not. It takes what? Say time. Time. It does. Now, I think it's getting harder, largely because of our smartphones, largely because of the pace of life. Bob Goff, many of you know, um, he's an author that I love. He says, don't let distraction steal you away from the people you love. I mean, how many times have you gone home and, you know, you, you think, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted or I want to spend time with the kids or I want to spend time with my spouse or... And you're, you think, you're thinking that the whole time you're scrolling. Like, I should really do that. You even come across memes that say, spend more time with your kids. Yeah, I should do that. Mm-hmm. And your kids are across the room. Right? So, again, strong relationships take a lot of what? Time. And we can get distracted away from that more easily today than maybe ever. Now, we're going to move into something else that don't, do not nudge your neighbor when I show you this slide. <laughs> But strong relationships take a lot of idiot compassion. <laughs> they just do. Uh, that's actually a Buddhist term. Uh, but what psychologists call unconditional positive regard. And if we're going to really get better at our relationships, we just have to own the fact that the people we love are going to do stupid stuff. They're not going to do things that are just kind of off. They're going to do stuff that's completely out of bounds stupid. Finally, at some point in their life. May not be today, may not be tomorrow, but before they die, they'll have at least one stupid episode. And you're going to have to decide, am I going to have compassion for that? Am I going to forgive that? Am I going to still be in relationship with that? Because here's the thing, your day's coming. Right? Because if everybody has that moment, then that's going to be you too at some point. Which might be why Jesus teaches something like this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, which is super important, don't judge. Why? So that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. He says, well, so why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? He says, or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is still in your own? You hypocrite. 
First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Jesus is kind of making fun of us at that point. He's like, this is, this is the way it is. We don't judge people. So this is important. You know why? Because we judge our friends and our family, people we love by their actions and ourselves by our intentions, right? By our intentions. You're late for a meeting. You know why. There was a train. The train runs the same time every day, friends. Right? And, and you know that if it's them, but if it's you, it's like, oh, no, no. I was having a hard time today. Whatever it is. We judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. That's just how we're made. So when it comes to these things, um, I, sometimes I'll do premarital counseling and sometimes I'll do like other kind of counseling. And, and one of the core things that happens is that somebody finally says, well, I just thought he would get better. Or I thought he would get over this. Or that this would change. Friends, did you know that no one has marital problems? No one. No one in this room has or will ever have marital problems. What you have is personal problems that you bring into the marriage. Is that not true? You bring yourself into the marriage and whatever is there is there. The number one indicator of a long-lasting marriage is two perfect people. Good luck. Right? I mean, the healthier you are, the less you have to work with. So the only person you can change, friends, is you. And even with that, the success rate is pretty low. I mean, think about this in your own life. Oh, just raise your hands. How many of you are just killing your New Year's resolution still? <laughs> right? Thank you. Well, we've got one out of like you know, 200 people, like 0.5%. Right? I mean, I, I've known people. I'll, spend my, I'll talk about myself. You know, my goal weight is what my fat weight used to be. Right? I mean, I'm still working on it. Right? And then I expect you to change on something that I think should be pretty easy for you to change. When I know good and well there are things in my life I really struggle to change. So, one of the things the wise person will know is that it's not so much what to do as it is who to be. Because your what to do is going to change in every season of your life. In any situation, it's about your character, friends. We talk about this each and every week in some way. It's always going to be about your character. God's always going to look at your heart. He's always going to know the truth about you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more, love you less. It's about your character. Now, it is true that you'll love yourself more the better you behave. You just will. You have less of those you know, committee voices in your head talking about you know, all the things that you failed to do in life. Everybody's got those too. But um, a spiritual director that I've come to respect named Jan Johnson She writes it like this in terms of our spiritual life. She says, God often does not tell us which way to go or what to do, but what to be. Full of love and integrity. That's who we are to be, to love God, love others. That's who we are to be. And that's what's most important about you. And so so often I'll have people, they really are struggling with, should I take this job or that job? And and as lovingly as I can say it is, it doesn't matter. Not ultimately. You can be happy in this job. You can be happy in that job. Now, now some will fit you better. I'll give you that. But for most people, the what to do is not a big deal. You can do this. You can do that. And I, I mean, I'm not really scared to tell you this, but, you know, you might know this. You can also be happy in a number of different churches. You could be. You could serve and bless people here. You could serve and bless people there. 
Uh, in my family, I learned doing that because that's what I had to do. I was a preacher's kid. Wherever we showed up, wherever we were signed, those were the people I had to love. And so I did. I never chose my church until this one. This is the first church I ever chose in my whole life. And I, and I thank you for choosing us today. That's a beautiful thing. But, you know, the reality is all of us can serve and be a blessing wherever we are. But you can't do it for everybody. You can do it wherever you are, but you can't do it for everybody you meet. You know, like, that doesn't sound right, Pastor Mark. I'm like, I know, it's a tough one. And it's hard to learn, particularly if you grew up in a Christian household. You kind of have this idea that you're supposed to be best friends with everybody. But you can't. There's no way. And Jesus did not model that. Right? So let's look at Jesus' life real quick. Jesus fed 5,000 people. Right? There were a lot of people that wanted something from Jesus. And, and, and he gave it to them, whether that's food or healing or a blessing. Jesus did it. But he only worked directly with how many? Twelve, right? Twelve, the disciples. You even know their names. And then he had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. How many is that? Three. That's it. Jesus had three close friends. That's it. Just three. So it's kind of like at Christmas. If you give more than three gifts, you're doing more than Jesus got. And if you have more than three really close friends, you're probably doing better than Jesus did. And you might ask yourself the question like, "Mm, are those real relationships? Because you only have so much what? Time. You only have so much time. You can only be really invested in so many relationships. And if you're married and you have kids, it ought to be them first. Right? At least until they get out of the house. And then you hope they come home every once in a while. Right? So here's the thing. You can be kind, but you can't be close with everyone. You can be kind, but you can't be close with everyone. And Jesus doesn't expect you to be. And he wasn't himself. Paul writes about that we all have these different um, relationships in our lives. In Romans 12, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we're members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So he says, Let our love be genuine, right? Hate what is evil. We can all do that. Hold fast to what is good. That can be difficult sometimes. Love one another with mutual affection, yes. And then outdo one another in showing honor. Now that we can do. But none of us have 8.3 days over and over and over and over again, right? We just don't have that kind of time. So when I talk about a good friend, a close friend, a best friend, what does that look like? Well, a good friend will challenge the sins we've grown to love and affirm the gifts we are afraid to claim. Do you have a friend like that in your life? I hope you do. It's a game changer, but it takes time to develop that. Does anybody in your life really actually know what you struggle with? In your life. And that person should say, Well, how are you doing with that? Not in judgment, but in love. Is there something I could do to be of help to you in this? I, I, I care about you. Or, you know, have, have you gone to grad school yet? You've been talking about it since we were in high school. You know, there's some people that just know you that well. There are things that you desperately want to do, but you are the only one that knows it. Unless you've developed relationships that other people know. Friends, there's no way I'd be a pastor if it wasn't for Chantel. If it wasn't for my parents. Absolutely no way. On my own, I would have never done it. But they would stay on me. It was annoying. <laughs> and so here I stand. Right? And here, here's the other thing I want you to know. It's so easy, isn't it? Uh, to come to church or, or go to someone's home. And, and, and you talk on your way home. And you're like, you know what you're thinking. You're like... You should be more like them, right? Not I should be more like them. It's like you should be more like them. 
But here's the thing, friends. What works for one relationship or one family in one season does not work in all relationships and all seasons. Right? Chantel and I um, call our sons about once a week. If you've got three-year-olds, that will not work. Right? I mean, it's a different season. It's a different season. So, let's get real practical. I want to give you very quickly seven action steps for better relationships. Here they are. The first thing is this. If you think something good about someone, say it. Just say it. Uh, this is the way God works in my life. He'll, he'll give me a vision in my, in my mind, and I know that I'm supposed to live into that. I'm supposed to do it. And the more quickly I do it, the better. And the longer I wait on it, the worse it gets. And if I never do it, it it's not good. So if you think something good about someone, what do you do? Say it. Say it right? And, and the scriptures tell us this. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And, and, and beyond that, then, if you think of a kindness or an apology or a forgiveness or a phone call or a note, what? Do it. If you, if you think it, then, then say it if it's good. And if you think it and, and it's something to do, then do it if it's good. Right? And, and James, man, he, I love the way he writes because you cannot misunderstand him. He says, anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. Yeah, right? It's the sin of omission. It, it, and, and we like to grade it, you know, say, well, this sin's bad and this one's not as bad. No, that's not the way that works. If you know God's asking you to do something and you're refusing to do it, it's no different than doing something God's asking you not to do. They're weighed the same. So, here's another one. Pray more and ask God to help you listen, not to respond, but to understand. You ever been in a relationship where they're talking and you know, man, this is going to be good when I get to talk? And you don't even hear the last part of what they're saying. You have to listen, not to respond, but to actually understand what's going on. And if you don't know how to listen well, uh, there's a little uh, tool called slant. It's kind of slick. This is in the David Brooks book on how to know a person. He says, you sit up, right, pay attention. Then you lean forward, and then you ask questions and clarifying questions. You know, somebody says, well, you know, I had a good day. Well, tell me more about that. What was good about your day? And then they're like, do you understand? You're like, yes. You nod your head. I understand. You're engaged with someone. And then you track with the speaker and where they go. Have you ever had those conversations where someone you love is talking to you and then you're in another room and they're still talking and you can't hear them? That's just me. you You can't really listen well from another room. And then this is something that's really beautiful. Um, those of you who are singers or musicians, um, maybe you've done a solo in high school um, or a duet or something, and you, if, you, if you have a piece of music and you're playing, normally you have someone at the piano, and what do you call that person? An accompanist, yeah. And so did you know that you can give the gift of accompaniment to people? You know, the great thing about a, a good accompanist is you go faster, they go faster. You go slower, they go slower. You're trying to sing in a, in a range that you can't sing, they lower it for you, Right? <laughs> So, friends, you can give the gift of accompaniment. It's, a, it's another centered way of moving through life. Basically, it's, it's the people in the Bible, like Ruth, that says, wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever land will be my land. I'm with you. I'll go as fast as you need to go. I'll be as slow as you need to go. And, friends, that's what love looks like, isn't it? That's what love is. Love's not romance. Love's not just a feeling Love is holding the hand of a loved one who no longer knows your name. It's accompanying them. 
all the way. In Colossians, the beautiful scripture says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, fix it. Right? That's what he's saying. Forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. You also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love. Being there, accompanying people where they are. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. David Brooks writes, Accompaniment is a humble way of being a helpful part of another's journey as they go about making their own kind of music. The accompanist is not controlling the journey, but neither is she a passive bystander. You're involved all the way. Now, on Wednesdays, you all know that we run through these sermons and try to make them better. And we had a pretty good um, discussion back and forth about whether I should show you this next one. Because it seems extreme, uh, but it is what is truly recommended. And that is, tonight, before you go to bed, uh, maybe this afternoon, take 30 minutes. I would love to say take a minute or take five minutes. Because I know some of you have already rolled your eyes in your own head like, who's got 30 minutes? What do relationships take? Time. Time. So take 30 minutes tonight and make a gratitude list of people and why you're grateful for them. Think about it. And, and maybe the Lord will even have you tell them sometime. You don't have to. You'll feel better just knowing these people are in your life and what you love about them. And then this week, spend less time focused on yourself and what others think about you. And practice an outward focus on life. By the way, when you check your Instagram account to see how many people are liking or following you, that's focusing on yourself. And it makes you miserable. Doesn't it? It does. Again, Brooks would say, at the deepest level, if we're going to know people, we are all equal on the level of our souls. If you see the people you meet as precious souls, you will probably end up treating them well. And if you see Jesus and the person across from you, you will treat them better than if you don't. So, last week, I asked you to do this. When you are within eye contact of someone, look at them, and what? Smile. Yeah. I, I, so I, don't, know, I don't know who told me this, but they said, you know, a smile is telling your face what to do and your, your body what to do next. You smile and your body will follow, right? Try smiling. You'll, you'll feel better. You just do, right? So here's, here's the next step. Now, for you introverts, I know this is a stretch. I know it is. Just hang with me. But if there's someone you've come to know, even just a little bit, and you think it would be appropriate, I want to invite you to ask someone to tell you their story. Just say, what's your story? Some of you know that my, my mom is in a nursing facility um, just a few miles away from here. And each Monday night, I go and I have dinner with her. And sometimes, um, one of her best friends, uh, since I was a tiny baby, comes and eats dinner uh, with us and, and her brother-in-law. And so I, th- I said, well, you know, I don't ask the church to do stuff. I'm not going to try myself. I want to know how it goes. So I got real brave, uh, and I asked the lady across the table. I was like, so... Tell me your story. And she said, oh, there's not much to tell. I said, well, where did you go to high school? And she said, Washington. And, and I said, well, what did you like to do? She said, oh, I played basketball. And I was like, you did? She's four feet something. <laughs> She's tiny. I'm tiny. I'm thinking, mm. and my sister played basketball. So, I, you know, back in the day, they played six on six. So I was like, hmm, I'm, like, I'm going to show off here. I'm like, oh, and when you played basketball, did you play six on six? And she said, yes, yes, we did. And I said, and were you a guard or a forward? Because I knew she was a guard, right? And she says, 
I was a center. I was like, what in the world? Like, you cannot be a sinner. Like, Akeem Olajuwon, maybe. You, no. Right? And so, um, t- Pastor Tim was so gracious. Uh, his mama actually is right here. She played basketball uh, at that time. And did you know, I, I didn't know this. this. This is what happens when you ask people their story. Basketball, girls basketball used to have three sections. And she played in the center section. And all they could do was get the ball and pass the ball and get the ball, pass the ball. That was their job. And what a beautiful thing it was because that meant more girls could play. It involved more people. You can't shoot, doesn't matter. Can't guard, doesn't matter. Just pass. It was great. And so then I turned to her brother-in-law and I said, and where did you go to school? He said, Meeker. And I pride myself on knowing people's mascots. And I was like, oh, help me with the mascot. He's like the Bulldogs. And I said, what are your colors? And he said, well, red and white until the war. And they, they couldn't get red paint. And I said, okay. And he said, so rather than having everything look shabby, the, the student body, we all got together and we went to the school board and we said, we want to get the paint that we can get. And so Meeker, for a long time, I don't know if it's still this way or not, but it used to be for years and years and years, Meeker was the only high school that was black and white because of that guy and his friends. Like, we can't, you, you can't get red paint? Well, we'll be black and white Meeker then. We're the black and white Meeker Bulldogs. I was like, dang, that's interesting. This is one of the best nights I ever had there, just asking people their story. Ask people their story. You might be amazed what you find out. You might find out that a four-foot person can be a center. And then finally, friends, I want to invite you to schedule what? Time. To be with a friend, either on the phone or in person. But schedule that. Because relationships are the most important thing to your health and in your life and for your character. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.